BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IonNWSL.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to... Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mono League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing this week? Good, good. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, we'll start with Promote Extend Trade this week. And for about the last week or so, there has been uh, a comet in the sky, Comet Neowise. Uh, technically, it's C slash 2020 F3. Um, and basically it's the brightest comet that we've had in the sky since the Hale-Bopp comet in 1997. And back in 1997, coincidentally, there are a lot of sci-fi movies dealing with aliens and space and things like that. So of those movies, what are we going to promote, extend, or trade? We have Starship Troopers. We have Men in Black, and we have The Fifth Element. Um, that's tough, because I like all of them. Well, I'm going to trade The Fifth Element, because I can't stand I, that movie. I don't know if I I've think, ever seen that. I think I trade The Fifth Element, too. Um, just because Men in Black and uh, Starship Star, uh, Troopers is better. For whatever reason, I know critics and people are like, oh, it's a film and great movie, and I don't get it You don't it like at it, all. yeah? No, it's like corny and bad, but not to the point where it's like, wow, it's corny, but it's good. No, it's just corny, but bad. <laughs> Men in Black obviously gets extended because that's like... Oh, yeah. In yeah, my lifetime agree. anyway, an all-time great. And Starship Troopers, I don't know. I haven't seen the whole thing, but... The concept is, I mean, bug aliens, you can't really go wrong with that. Gotta exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, uh, let us go over to Asia now, and we'll do a CPBL, KBO, and PB update. Uh, the Union Lions, they only played one game this week, and they lost, so, oh well. Um, the league is a split-season format, and the league is basically shifting over now to the second half. The last couple of days have just been some make-up games from early in the year. Uh, the Brothers Elephants won the first half championship. They had a 37-23 record, and they were basically dominant for the entire uh, first half. The Lions went 26-34, and so hopefully they do a little better in the second half. 
a lot of turn. It's going to be a lot of turnover. Ryan Fierabend is not going to be there. Logan Darnell not going to be there. But um, they are replacing them with Brock Dixhorn, who is a former Astros farmhand, and Tim Melville, who is a journeyman. What a name. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> he was always a fun one in the minor league recaps. Uh, and Tim Melville, he's a journeyman. He's been around for a couple of teams. Uh, he, he pitched at the Rockies last season towards the end of the year. So hopefully they'll be able to reinforce their uh, pitching rotation. The LG Twins, they had a strong week this week finally. They went 4-1, and one, and then they had two games postponed by rain. So they are 33-29-1 and one for the season now. The hitter of the week is Ji-Hwan Oh, who is the strong defensive shortstop who was hit of the week a couple of weeks ago in mid-June. Uh, his week, he went 7 for 21 with a double, two homers, four RBI, no walks, and six strikeouts. And pitcher of the week is veteran left-hander Wu Chen Cha, who was the LG Twins' very first pitcher of the week all the way back in May. Memories. And he's, yes. Good good memories, back when they were winning more than losing. <laughs> back uh, when they weren't terrible. Yeah, he's had a pretty up-and-down season since that first week, um, but last week was one of his more solid starts. He went seven scoreless innings, allowed five hits, walked three, and struck out one. So peripherals weren't great, but obviously, uh, you know, seven scoreless innings, so can't really complain about that one. And finally, the Colts Swallows went 3-3 three and three this week, and that leaves them at 13-10-1 for the year. And the hitter of the week is Munitaka Murakami, who went 13-23 for 23 with three doubles, nine RBI, two walks, and five strikeouts. 13-23 for 23 is nutty stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely, a good, good, definitely a good week. Yeah, um, having the time of your life out there. Basically, if the Swallows are the Mets equivalent in Japan, Munetaka Murakami is their Pete Alonso. Excellent. Um, yes, very big slugging first baseman. He was their first round pick in 2017. He spent a majority of the 2018 season in their minor league team and was promoted towards the end of the year. He only got into a couple of games that year. He only got one hit, but that one hit was a homer, so that bodes well. We love to see it. Uh-huh. And he got to spend a lot of time with Vladimir Belentien and Tetsuo Yamada, who were, you know, two major sluggers. So anytime you can get those veteran, anytime those veterans can get those presents, you know. So he broke camp this year. Oh, excuse me. He broke camp last year as the Swallows starting baseman, third, starting third baseman. Um, he moved over towards first, towards the middle of the season when the incumbent guy got hurt and then kind of slumped but regardless though third base first base whatever he hit a ton of home runs at the end of the year his batting line was 231 332 481 with 36 homers in 43 games which broke the npb record for most home runs hit by a teenager obviously all those home runs good uh he was third in the central league and fourth in all of japan but the batting average was basically the opposite. Uh, he was one of the worst batting averages in all of Japan. This year, I don't know if it's an intentional strategy. It might just be, you know, the kind of weird sample size of just a month, whatever, maybe a combination. But 
for 2020 so far. He only has three home runs, but he's hitting 393, 481, 607. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. In a few years, he's, he might be, you know, one of the best players in Japan. Uh, yeah. he has plus, definite plus, maybe even plus plus power. Uh, his mechanics are kind of a little weird. His stance looks, uh, kind of like Julio Franco's. Where he oh, kind of yes. twists his bat a little bit, like almost pointing towards the pitcher, but he Sign has plenty of bat speed. He's a strong kid. He just kind of smashes the ball. Um, and he does have pretty, a, a solid eye. Um, last year was a little bit of bad bat bit luck, so he's probably more than just like a three true outcomes Adam Dunn clone that's going to hit, you know, 230, but smash 30 home runs. Um, hopefully he's able to kind of balance the two out and hit for a much better average. He's definitely doing that this year. And now the pitcher of the week for the second week in a row is Yasuhiro Ryan Ogawa. And he put up basically an identical stat line from last week. He allowed two runs over six innings, allowing seven hits, walking two, and striking out four. So I think he struck out a couple of guys less, fewer, and allowed a few more hits. But two runs over six innings ain't bad. No, you'll take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, now we have some Mets player news. And a few weeks ago, we discussed the Mets signing uh, a Dominican right-hander by the name of Richard Brito. And basically, weirdly enough, the Mets signed uh, another guy this past week that is almost a clone of him, a dude by the name of Sammy Tavares. Uh, He was originally signed by the Yankees in 2018, but he never actually played for any games with them. And I searched high and low, couldn't find anything about why he never pitched with them and why he's not under contract with them anymore or whatever, but could not find any information about that. But whatever happened, and he was a free agent again, and he basically agreed to a, a handshake agreement with the Mets a couple of months ago, and he finally signed a deal with them now. Uh, so just like Brito, he's he's a, he's an older guy. He's 21, turning 22. Um, supposedly, you know, we only have his his word and his agent's word to go by, but his fastball sits in the upper 90s, might top out at 100. And then he complements that with sinker, uh, slider, curveball, you know, the whole kitchen sink arsenal there. Yeah. Um, you know, only the scouts who saw him and signed him, you know, from the Mets and the Yankees actually know the truth, whatever. But assuming he can hit 100 and, you know, sits in the upper 90s, can't argue with that. Yeah, um, it's get those dudes and hope, basically. Yep. Exactly. I mean, between him, Brito, maybe some of the other random guys in the system that have a strong, like, carrying tool, maybe one of them develops into something. That would be great. And if not, you know, that's why you go out and sign a lot of guys for small amounts, because sometimes it's it's more quantity than quality when it comes to the IFA market. You just have more chances, really. Yeah, like I mean, it's so what you so want to do away. with lottery picks. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> just so far away. Yeah, they are literally lottery picks. So the more you have, more chances you get. 
All right. So last week we discussed the Kingsport Mets, the history, history of the Appalachian League, general, whatever. This week we're going to do a little bit of the same with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, who are the other team that the Mets are going to be losing to to Major League Baseball's um, minor league contraction plan. Uh, before we go any further, though, it's important to note that the Binghamton Rumble Ponies are going to be disappearing because their affiliation as the Mets AA team is going to be replaced by the Brooklyn Cyclones. The Eastern League itself is not being shuttered, and other teams in the Eastern League are not going to be uh, contracted. Yeah. Um, whereas the whereas the Major League Baseball plan is going to be doing that to the New York Penn League, which is the league that the Cyclones are in. So basically, as not to lose the Cyclones, the Mets are going to be shifting their affiliations around. Now, is that fair? Uh, if you want to be cynical, you could point to the fact that the Cyclones are owned by the Wilpons, and and they're going to continue to be owned by the Wilpons even after they sell um, the Mets and, and possibly yeah, SNY. They're like a separate entity, right? Like who, right, right. Who owns the Wilpons? Uh, who owns the Wilpons? Who owns the Mets as opposed to who owns the uh, Cyclones? Right. Right. Sterling Sterling Equities owns the Mets as a separate property. They own the Cyclones as a separate property. They own a bunch of you know all of their real estate and financial things yeah. as separate properties. Whereas St. Lucie. The St. Lucie Mets and the Syracuse Mets, they are owned not by Sterling Equities. They're owned by the Mets, you yeah. know, Metropolitan Baseball Club, Inc. So, you know, uh, regardless of what happens to the Mets, the Cyclones are a separate thing that the Wilpons will still have their fingers on. And, of course, you know, this, the Cyclones are what Fred Wilpons' baby, so it makes sense. They're going to appoint themselves GMs of the cycle. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. Um, you know, but e- e- that aside, the fact of the matter is that the Brooklyn Cyclones are a draw. They're a major draw. They always have been in basically oh, 20 yeah. years. You know, nothing's changed. Last year, they sold a total of 174,522 tickets, and they averaged 48,048 fans. So that is basically 25,000 more than the Hudson Valley Renegades, who Jeez. came in second. <laughs> and for comparison's sake, since it's like 15, 20 minutes away when there's no traffic, they drew over 100,000 more fans than the Stan Island Yankees. <laughs> Stan Island only draws 66,520. Yeah. So Cyclones, they've led the league in attendance for 19 seasons straight. Most of the time, it's a pretty considerable margin, anywhere between 20,000 and 50,000. So there's no reason to do anything there. And obviously, the, the stadium is nice. The facilities are good, blah, blah, blah. Um, by comparison, variety of reasons, the Binghamton Mets slash Rumble Ponies have not um, been a big draw. Basically, it's the exact opposite situation in the Cyclones. Yeah. They've been at the bottom of the Eastern League, sometimes dead last. And, you know, all of the stars aligned, basically, to have Binghamton disappear. Uh, so the Mets have been affiliated with Binghamton since 1992. They purchased the Williamsport Bills in 1990, and they moved them to Binghamton. 
And in their inaugural 1992 season, they won the Eastern League Championship, so it's not bad in their first year. And their coach was Steve Swisher, who's actually Nick Swisher's dad, which I did not know. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That team didn't really have too many top prospects, but one of them was Bobby J. Jones, the right-hander, and he basically carried that team. He had a 188, excuse me, 188 ERA in 158 innings. So, not bad in double A. <laughs> um, no, over for the sure. next, yeah, over the next couple of years, the Mets won championships a couple of times. Well, excuse me, they won championships, one championship and got into the playoffs four times. So, they won in 94, and then they got in 96, 98, and 2000. And over that period of time, obviously they've had a lot of top uh, prospects play for them. Generation K, so Bill Pulsifer, Jason Isenhausen, and Paul Wilson. There was Edgardo Alfonso, Ray Ordonez, Jay Payton, Alex Escobar, Pat Strange, a couple of other guys, but those are like the main ones. Mm-hmm. And then Binghamton had one more burst of success in 2004, and that team might have been the best Binghamton Mets team ever. Um, at the same time, they had number one pitching prospect in the system, Scott Casimir. They had number two hitting prospect in the system, David Wright. They had number three pitching prospect in the system, Matt Peterson. And then a couple of guys that were unranked but would be prospects after the season, Brian Bannister, Heath Bell, Royce Ring, and Yusmiro Petit. So oh, yes, Royce Ring. That is, yeah, a pretty dominant pitching group. And then Is he still Wright, a coach in the organization, Royce Ring? Royce Ring, yes, I believe so. I'm pretty sure he is, yeah. With Columbia, or maybe St. Lucie now. Well, really, with nobody right now, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so that was kind of their last hurrah, 2004, and then they had a pretty long playoff drought for about a decade until the Pedro Lopez era started. Um, his first year in Binghamton is 2012, and they went 68 and 74, but then they ended in second place the next year. They won the Eastern League Championship in 2014, and then they ended in second place again. And then in his last year there, the, in 2016, they ended in fifth. So it just goes to show really that, you know, a coach can be good, but at the end of the day, really, you need a good form system. And at this, at that time, you know, the, the, <laughs> they did not. Yeah. Well, at the time they did, you know, the, yeah. the turn, I don't know, we really know how to even say it. The early to mid 2010s, you had Rafael Montero, Noah Syndergaard, Steven Matz, Dilson That's Herrera. True. Travis Darno, Brandon Nimmo, Hansel Robles, Gabriel Yanoa, Michael Fulmer, Michael Conforto, Robert Kaselnin, Seth Lugo. Not all on the same team, obviously, but yeah, a lot of talent. Um, yeah, I talked with uh, with Joe a little bit about this. Who um, you guys will be hearing an interview from at some point, but like, really, that's kind of an era that the the good Mets teams from 2015, you know. 2016 kind of were built out of, you know? It is, yeah. I mean, if you look at the, the guys, Rafael Mantero, he didn't really have an impact on the Mets. Okay, Noah Syndergaard, major player. Steven Matz, major player. Mm-hmm. Dilson Herrera, not so much. Travis Darno, you can make the case. Um, he was good then. 
Like, yeah, if nothing else, if his if you don't want to say that his numbers were really that impactful, his presence on the team at the very least had an impact on how they built the rest of the team. So he had an impact like that, regardless of how you feel about how he how he played. Yeah. Um, Brandon Nimmo, obviously. Hansel Robles. You know, not so much. Fulmer, you know, he's... Uh, he, he indirectly had a big part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Conforto, major player. Gisellman and Lugo, you know, they've kind of been up and down, but they've had major impacts the last couple of years, so... Being able to see those teams <laughs> probably would have been, must have been really, really fun. Um... But even though they were winning during that period, behind the scenes there was a lot of stuff going around, going going on. Um, obviously, attendance was not good, and that impacted the owners. And since like 2010 or so, the owners wanted to sell the team, and they tried selling it a couple of times. But every single time there was a potential deal, it just kind of fell through. So for a while, it looked like the most likely buyers were going to be an ownership group called Main Street Baseball and that they were going to move the team to Delaware. But in the end, the owners, the prior owners sold to a different ownership group called Evans Street Baseball and they pledged to keep the team in Binghamton and they invested a lot in the stadium, uh, you know, NYSEG Stadium, New York State Electric and Gas. Um, they did a lot of community outreach. They did a lot of promotional stuff, and obviously the biggest change of all of them was that they were going to change the name of the team itself. So there were six finalists, and they were the Bullheads, and that's a catfish that's found in the Susquehanna River, and it was supposed to represent the tough and resilient character of Binghamton. They were the Gobblers, which is a turkey, and that was supposed to represent the Outdoor culture of the area. That could have had a huge, great logo potential. Uh, gobblers? Uh, yeah. Like a goofy turkey. Oh, that's true. That's true. I mean, the the mascot guy would have been fun. Like Mr. Met, but it's a turkey. <laughs> and then finally, there were all representing carousels, because Binghamton is apparently the carousel capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, that that was like... <laughs> When I found that out, I was very, I would, I had many questions. Yeah. They were the rocking horses, they were the stud muffins, the timber jockeys, and the rumble ponies. I voted for stud muffins. I mean, when I think stud muffin, I think of like the Montgomery biscuits, like an anthropomorphic, like, muffin. that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly why I voted for them. Yeah. Cause I have a Montgomery biscuits hat. Hell yeah. It's, it is it's, a pretty great name. It's just an incredible logo. He has a tongue that's made of butter. And we need to protect him at all costs. I don't think that they would have gone that route if, nah, if probably not. muffins had one. It would have been some sort of horse thing. That had, like, iron, like studs or something. Yeah, yeah. And I would have been annoyed. Would not have been as fun as an anthropomorphic muffin with an attitude like the Montgomery <laughs> Biscuit. <laughs> but, yeah, the Rumble Ponies won, and the rest is history. And they made the playoffs in 2017, which is their first year as the Rumble Ponies, but they lost. Um, I was at two of the playoff games that they were in against Trenton, and <laughs> they got no hit in one game, and then they got blown out 9-1 to in the other, so no bueno. 
Is that and, good? Yeah. Definitely things you want to see. Although, I'll be honest, you know, you don't go into a game wanting to see your team get no hit, but it is kind of cool to see a no-hitter. I feel like I would end up rooting for it at some point. Uh, I was at Max Scherzer's to end, or in the last weekend of 2015, and can confirm, does not happen for me. I think that... I was very annoyed. <laughs> oh, really? I think it, I think yeah. it also depends yeah, on... True. I think it also depends on the score. Like, if the other team is winning like 10 to nothing and there's a no-hitter, like, there's no chance the team is going to come back. So, you know what? Let's root for history. If it's like a close game, like one to nothing, one swing, one hit yeah. could literally change everything. So, yo, I'd be bunting. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not against, the... not against Max Scherzer. He'll start yo, yelling he, at you. He he would fight. He would come to the dugout <laughs> to throw fisticuffs immediately. Can't blame him though. To be honest, I mean, oh, I, no, I understand. I understand both sides, but it's like, oh, come on, dude. Oh yeah, it's 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 a scummy thing to. Basically cheat a dude out of a no-hitter. Yeah. Um, so, like the, a lot of the cities in, in the Northeast, um, the history of Binghamton goes back to like the earliest days of organized baseball. Um, from the end of the 1800s to the early 1900s, Binghamton had a couple of teams from a couple of different minor leagues that is, existed at the time. They were the Binghamton Crickets. They were the Binghamton Bingos. The Binghamton Triples, because it is the, <laughs> the Tri-Cities area. What and if the team was just really fast, and they were like, all right, we're the Triples? Maybe. I mean, that was back in the day how baseball kind of was. It was a running sport. And then my favorite team, the Binghamton Soldiers. No. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Relocated from Johnson City. <laughs> Just the crickets, bingos, triples, triplets. The, the crickets uh, is pretty great, too. Yeah, crickets are pretty good. Uh, 1938 is when the Eastern League was founded, and Binghamton is one of the founding cities. Uh, the Binghamton triplets was a Yankee farm system at the time. They stayed with the Yankees for the next 25 years. Um, in 1962, they became affiliated with Kansas City. That didn't last very long. And in 1964, they became not only affiliated with the Milwaukee Braves, but they also got shifted to the New York Penn League. Uh, the Yankees reacquired them in 1965 and returned them to the Eastern League in 1967. And then they played 1967 and 1968 in the Eastern League again and then folded. And Binghamton was without a team until the B-Mets came into existence in the 90s. So, yeah, um, a lot of, not too, well, I wouldn't say a lot of, there's a lot of history in, in Binghamton itself, but not yeah. too, too much in the Binghamton Mets slash Rumble Ponies, since they are kind of a newer, newer team. A it's lot more of, like, it's more like history based on overall stuff, like how long baseball has been there, and now that yep. they're losing it, it's pretty pretty sad in a different way not not a Mets specific way in a Mets specific way of course but in a it's doubly sad in a Binghamton specific way yeah uh, definitely not what you want to see and I don't really know why I mean there are other teams out there in the kind of 
same situation that Binghamton is in where, you know, the better days are, are long past because just manual production and stuff like that is gone that have kind of taken to their local teams. And uh, I just don't know why, but Binghamton has not been one of them. The baseball team is definitely an afterthought. That's interesting, um, yeah. Locals, you know, I mean, you just look at the attendance. Locals don't really go to games too much. And even you have Binghamton University there, and, you know, it's not really something you see crammed full of college kids in the stands either. So it's just – and, of course, obviously it is in upstate New York, and it gets cold in upstate New York in March and April. So mm-hmm. not not necessarily uh, conducive to early baseball. But at the end of the day, I will be selfish, and I will say that I would much rather have Binghamton disappear than the Brooklyn Cyclones disappear. Yeah, that's the only team in the system, really, that's feasible for me to get to after work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Personally. Like, <laughs> yeah, per- personally, living on the F line, I am literally like... Yeah. 15, I could just decide whenever I wanted to go see the Cyclones. And I've often done that, where, like, the day of, I'm like, I'll go see a baseball game. And then just hop on the train. Really, with St. Lucie being owned by the Mets and with Syracuse being owned by the Mets, it was a question of who would be eliminated, Columbia or or Binghamton. Yeah, Columbia was always between those two. Yeah, Columbia doesn't fit because it's just geographically doesn't make sense. You can't pair Brooklyn with... I mean, you could because... Not with that attitude, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could because Lakewood is in the same South Atlantic division, the South Atlantic League, but that doesn't make any sense, and I feel like if you would just add Brooklyn in there too, it just makes it even more stupid and worse. That's just frankly a pain in the ass that I don't think anyone wants to deal with, if we're being honest. No, but... I know I the Eastern League, it's right there. Binghamton, yeah. uh, you know, has had its attendance issues, whereas Columbia has not. Binghamton is a much different city than Columbia. The facilities are, I would say, not as nice as they are in Columbia because um, Segra Park is just much newer. Yeah. It still has that, you know, new stadium smell and everything. So it was just, like I said a little earlier, all the stars aligned for... Binghamton to kind of fade away. Optimally, Major League Baseball is not an not an asshole. But <laughs> yeah, optimally, none of them are fading away. Yeah, but they just can't help themselves. So what can you do? BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy. And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. uh, Does anyone have any? Well, I should say we are going to now go to Ken's interview that he had with his friend who worked at Binghamton. So, Definitely stay tuned because um gets into some interesting detail and, and stuff that you might not hear, 
you know, other other places. So definitely worth a listen. Absolutely, for sure. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Ken from, from Complex the Queens, and uh, I'm joined today by a good friend of mine from, from high school and the ensuing years. <laughs> I was say even before that and after that, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Too <laughs> uh, long, arguably. But... Joe Campione, he worked for uh, the Binghamton Mets and the Rumble Ponies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the, 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 the Mets for the, for the beginning, and then I was there for the transition and uh, worked a uh, one year or start the, the start of one year with the rumble ponies i was there for the transition gotcha um yeah so we're just going to talk about the the rumble ponies and mets and what they kind of mean to the area and you know what the area might be missing now that they are fading softly <laughs> yeah if we're going into that good night yeah we'll see what happens with them yeah. uh so when when did you start with uh the team yeah, so uh, so I started with them in uh, February of 2014. I had gone down to uh, the winter meetings in Orlando, Florida in 2013, basically on like a wing and a prayer. Uh, cause I was out of college, needed like a real job, so I was just sub-teaching and uh, kind of, you know, looking for an actual career. Uh, so I went down to uh, – they have – at the winter meetings, they have this big um, – uh, because, you know, we, yeah. we all know the MLB stuff right. that goes on, right? But then they got the big job expo for the MLB and, and all that stuff. So went down there, basically just applied to everything under the sun on my phone somewhere. I still have all of the, like, six jobs, whatever, that I applied to. And uh, I remember coming across the, the Binghamton Mets listing, and it was for, for a video position. And I didn't study video or anything in college, but, I mean, as, as you know, um, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, kind of, uh, you know, self-taught myself a lot of video stuff for, for you know, I, I projects. I always describe and you as a sound wizard. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Put it, put it. So, yeah, just basically, the worst quality of anything. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure when we were growing up, I became the video editor because I was the one who had iMovie. So it was like just de facto, I, I was the one with the yeah, technology. Yeah. So yeah, so so yeah, so I knew video stuff. And again, the fact that it was the Bengals and Mets, I'm a Mets fan. It like it looked pretty cool. You know, it was a team that I'd heard of first of all. But it looked, you know, I thought it'd be, it'd be pretty cool. So, you know, I applied to them. I actually didn't even hear from them in Florida. I had a bunch of different interviews, and then I got a phone interview. One thing led to another, and I ended up there in uh, February of 2014 as a uh, very lowly paid intern, as many <laughs> MILV employees could tell you. But, yeah, so that, that's when I got my start. And uh, what a time to start. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, pick picked a pretty good spot. So, yeah, at that point, 2013, they were a good team. They had made the playoffs for the first time in like, and like Harvey a very there, long time. No, yeah, Harvey, yeah, that was, yeah, uh, that was, that was, that was right. Yeah. Noah, I think on the year was on the 2013 team. I think that was when like a lot of those, yeah. a lot of that big four were like really starting to go through there. DeGrom was there for like a hot second. Har- you know, Harvey was there for a hot second. So yeah, that team was very good. Um, and, and made the playoffs. They were, I, I want to say that they were the best team in the, uh, in the Eastern League that year, but they ended up losing, um, in the first round of the playoffs. So when I got there, there were certainly, I don't want to say expectations, because the minor leagues rarely has expectations, because as, as you guys know, it kind of, it, it really is sort of dependent on, you know, the prospects of the major yeah, league it's, team. it's a lot and, more complicated than um, just having good players. Yeah, know? it really is. I mean, you know, because sometimes it depends on what, like, random players you have, what prospects you have, how long your prospects staying there, because sometimes your prospects are too good, especially yeah, the double level, they're not there. <laughs> you know, or sometimes you run into a situation like we had in 2015 where we were a very good team, Reading was a very mediocre team, 
the Phillies end up trading, I think it's Cole Hamels for like a King's ransom and all of them went to Reading and then they kind of stormed the castle. Oh, so it's yeah. like, you know so yes. Yeah, so I remember talking about that when it happened. Oh, it sucked. And, uh, none of those guys have really panned out at all. No, it, it, that, that, it, it is kind of fascinating. Yeah. At the time, it's like, this is an unstoppable juggernaut and the Mets are going to be doomed for the next decade when they all get up to the bigs. And yeah, very, very few of them have been, a lot of them have hit the majors, but very few of them have become yeah, too like much. Yeah, like Williams, that was the one really Yeah, yeah that, that was one of the big ones. And he's oh, kind of... Some like, catcher, too, who was like really good. Uh, Alfaro, who's now yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. enough said. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Jake Thompson, yeah. who's now in yeah. Korea, I believe. <laughs> 2015, that was like, that was yeah. ridiculous. So we were effectively playing a AAA team. But that yeah, was... and I remember things like like Dilson Herrera got called oh, up right Dilson, at the end. That was... Yeah, so that was that was a funny thing pushing too. to the playoffs. So so that year, so 2014 again, as as you guys know, spoiler, we ended up winning the Eastern League Championship that year. But it was like a long winding road to even get to that point. Um, again, but they were a good team the first half of the year, and then the at the start of the second half of the year, I always joke around that the, the Cavalry showed up. Basically, there were seven All Stars in St. Lucie. All of them came up to Double A, so we got the impression that like Sandy's really going for it. Like like because yeah. the Mets, we were always told the Mets are pretty high on organizational championships because you know the Mets. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So so we got the impression when they called up those seven guys that were going for it, and when we're talking about those seven All Stars, we're talking about I mean T.J. Rivera, Dilson Herrera, Stephen Matz. Like these are like no joke around yeah, guys, guys who, who would go on to have. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say yeah, Herrera has had a significant big league career. He's he he's bounced he's around. he bounced around at the time. Look, I, I I have personal bias. I love Dilson I love so Dilson. much. So yeah. like, I, I, so I've always had personal somebody, bias. I think the Orioles like he that's a place he could. It was it was cool uh, here because uh, he he was killing it in Louisville for a little while, and so a bunch of my friends at work were starting to learn the legend of Dilson Herrera. So it was it was nice to have other people who understood my my unabashed love of him. But yeah, so what was weird about that year was so yeah, so they, they these guys come up and and they just we start running through the league because it was there there was one week because uh, the time we had Matt Reynolds too and uh, Plowecki, and there was one week where like everybody was in the same place at the same time. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. yeah. There was the once there was yeah the good year yeah there was there was one week where I think we had every single one of the top ten prospects on the team for for like the Mets organization and then and then guys some of the guys still finally started getting like shifted to the AAA but there was one glorious week where it's like this is the greatest minor league team in creation but yeah so we get towards the tail end of the year we're in uh, late August I want to say at this point and I remember Dilson just had like this unbelievable game where like it was it was it was a late game. Uh, I want to say a bat got stuck in a, in a backstop because I remember watching Tim Hyman have to shimmy up to go get the bat after the game. That's neither here nor there. Shout out to but, uh, shout out to Tim Hyman. But, uh, so, yeah, so Dilson, um, at the end, of the, at the end of the game, we're, we're coming back late rally and he hits a game tying triple and then takes home on a wild pitch to win the game. And, you know, everyone, you know, pile up, yeah, everything's great. <laughs> Literally did it by himself, and then that night we find out that he's going not to AAA, he's going to the Mets. And I remember Sandy actually called uh, Jim Weed, who was our GM at the time, and apologized because he knew that we were like in the midst of this like legitimate, yeah, you know, yeah. getting ready for a playoff run. They're taking away our best player, and he said, "Look, I just want you to know we would not be doing this if he wasn't like getting playing time. We're not just calling up your best guy to sit on the bench like he's going to play." But so I, I remember finding that kind of funny that even Sandy kind of knew like this could backfire. Yeah, with, this, at least for for But okay, this could it's be the nature of the minor leagues. You're at the mercy of the big boys, so you know yeah. things happen. True. Um, 
So do you want to do you want to remember some guys? I pulled up the uh, the roster. Oh please, please. There, there there are some guys who I will absolutely remember, and some you're gonna like blow my mind with probably. I, I'll, so I'll pick a few. Um, yeah. Let's start with Dustin Lawley because Dustin Lawley. My favorite. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a legend Dustin Lawley was. Yeah, Dustin Lawley. Um, he, he he's so in 2014 he he was pretty good that year. He was just you know hitting dangers, and then kind of started to tail off a little bit in, in subsequent years, mainly because uh, he he adopted the model as I've told you before. Um, as I've said on the podcast when, before. Yes, yes. Whether whether you strike out or you pop out, it's the same thing anyway. I'm trying to clean it up. Uh, it's the same <laughs> thing anyway. So you may as well go for dingers, and which is like you know. Fine when you're Adam Dunn, but when you're Dustin Lawley yeah, and you're in Double A and yeah. your K and your K rate is like through the roof, yeah, he he didn't make it through that season, believe it or not. But he was he he was he was the dude. <laughs> he was he was always good fun just because big country boy who just hit moonshots. Uh, let's let's talk about one of my personal favorites, Jace Boyd. Ah, Jace Boyd, another another legend. He was There's one particular story. Kind of was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of the end of his career. Um, yeah, yeah. One story in particular, I was hoping you would tell us. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 yeah. So Jace has, has, has Jace was one of the nicest guys who had one of the worst situations because he had um, uh, what, was, what was that thing that that Harvey uh, ended thoracic up outlet. thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah. yeah, so he he got that, and it was you know before it was cool. So back then, when they were putting your arm back together, like he he just couldn't throw. The guy just did not. Have the ability to throw with his right arm, which was unfortunate, you know, when you play for a National League team. So he DH'd a yeah. lot with us. He played first base for a little bit. I remember the the Trenton Thunder in particular, like took advantage of that because we would pick off to first. They would just go to second, knowing he cannot he throw can't the ball. Make the throw, yeah. yeah, so like, so it was unfortunate. But the good news was the guy could hit, and he was kind of fun to just to just watch hit. And um, I remember the one day he was also uh, secretly learning how to throw left-handed because I remember uh, we were. I was out on the field. We usually do a lot of stuff pregame, like whether we're doing like interviews in the pregame or just like getting stuff ready. And he goes out there, and I noticed he had a left-handed glove on. And he goes to me, he goes, All right, "Don't tell anybody what you saw." And he starts throwing just like you know, just just just, just peas back and forth with his left hand. It's like, okay, cool. I guess we're doing that now. Could this possibly? Um, yeah, yeah. So and I remember we tried him in the outfield for a while, which seemed unusual to me for a guy with a bum arm. But yeah, more or less so. the same situation as at first. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Arguably so. higher stakes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the, the guy could rake, and he was always good fun. And of course, he ends up being the one in 2014 who hits the 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 walk off uh, double, as we called it. That was a whole other thing. Was whether it was a single or a double, because Tim in his exuberance. For the call, calls it a walk-off double, and then hours after the game, we realized, oh no, did he ever actually get the second base? Did I blow the call? So I remember I was, I was playing it back frame by frame, and just going, hey, that's second base, that's close enough. Walk-off double. <laughs> we so round yes, here. <laughs> yeah. So officially, a walk-off double uh, to win the Eastern League Championship, and then so the next year he he came back, and uh, you know we all had our rings, and Jace's thing was always if he walked by and he saw you were wearing uh, your ring, he would stop what he was doing, he would point to it and goes, you're welcome. Every time. No, that was all he would say. He would just be like, you're welcome, and just move on, because he was the guy who got the walk-off. Yeah, no, I will forever. Yeah, so... Chase Floyd and whatever he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. No, again, very very nice guy, smart guy. I think, I want to say he was a a College World Series champion with, like, Florida State or something like that, so he was... He's a Florida game. Florida, yeah. So he was was a... uh, He was a good ball player. It's just a shame his his arm kind of was what it was, but... I can hit. Yeah. Um, 
TJ Rivera, somebody my favorites. we talked about quite quite a bit. Yeah, TJ, TJ was one of the hardest working people I think I ever saw in the minors, and that's not like a dig at other people. That's him just being a freak of nature. That, that's so, what you need to do if you're an undrafted. You know, exactly. When, 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 right. When you look at his situation, you know, the guy was an undrafted free agent. And again, he was one of those one of those seven all stars who came up uh, halfway through the 2014 season. And then he hung out with us for a while, so we, we got to know TJ pretty well, and, and we got to know his family pretty well. Was at the time, uh, fiance uh, Ashton, who's who's awesome, and, and everything else. And yeah, he's man, he's just the coolest guy. He's from from the Bronx and everything else, so he's he's you know very 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 laid back, very cool guy. But I remember with him again, hardest working guy I ever knew. That guy lived in the batting cage, which is not surprising for those of you who remember him with the Mets, because. All he would do was hit. Um, and I remember, so we were doing, um, back when I was the intern, I would be the host of our, our pregame show that we would show in the ballpark. And uh, I wanted to do an interview with, with TJ Rivera. And for a solid week, he would just forget. Not he would. So you have some guys who just try to blow you off. He legitimately was not trying to blow me off. He would just lose track of time in the batting cage because he just lived there. And it was then, and, and back then that batting cage was a dungeon. Like it was, it was, it was, it was this running joke. Oh that, yes, that, I remember. <laughs> oh yeah, a dungeon of a batting cage. So there was not like there was a clock or anything in there. So he would just kind of like lose track of time. Eventually I got him and he was very, uh, he, he was very apologetic that it took so long, but. Now, TJ was, was was a real nice guy. Another big he moment. Very polite. Very polite. Very, very, very polite. Very well put together. Like, because there are some guys who you could tell, like, you know, they came out of high school. Like, they weren't, like, they weren't, the, they weren't the most, they weren't the best readers. They weren't the most, you know, the most <laughs> camera ready or polished. But he was always very put together. I know we always rooted for him a lot. He had a guy didn't hit a lot of home runs, but man, he had a big old walk off in the 2014. Um, uh, I guess we'll call it like the NLCS, our, our Eastern League uh, semifinal. Um, Do you want to yeah, guess his triple slash with Binghamton in 2014? Oh, it had to be absurd. I have no idea. Okay, but, 358. Yeah, that sounds right. 394, 438. It was well known in our press box that every time TJ came up and got a hit, I would just scream at the top of my lungs, all he does is hit. Every, all he does every is time. Hit. And I yelled it a lot that year. I distinctly remember that. But, yeah, I would just yell, all he does is hit, because that was just the case. He just... The guy just breaks. You guys just awesome. get it, you know. Yeah, and he, and he, that, and he that's played. That's how I've always it. thought about him. It's, it's like yeah. he's a guy I'm. I'm not worried about if he's going to no. hit the next level. Yeah, I was so guys. excited. I was so excited. So it's funny when you work in the minor leagues because you know you do get to know these guys so well, and you get to know them, you know, off the field really well, and you get to know like their families really well. So there's so and there's some guys, especially the ones who are there for a couple years, who like you know you meet for a while, who like you know they become like your guys. And I remember being just so excited when he actually got the call to the bigs because it's like because because you saw how hard the guy yeah, worked, you knew be- how nice of a guy he was and everything else. So like, you know, there, there's a, there's a few guys over the years who I've been like really excited to see them finally get their shot, and TJ was definitely one of them. So I, I assume well, he wasn't on this roster, but I, I assume like Jeff McNeil might be somebody like uh-huh. that. Jeff McNeil was somebody like that. You know, Jeff McNeil was he was, was, was there was, what, how many years when you were there? Yeah. So, so I only, I only kind of interacted with Jeff briefly over the course of two years because he came up, uh, the, he came up at the tail end, I want to say of 2015. Yeah, uh, and I he looked like sending me a thing saying, yeah, muscles McNeil. <laughs> yeah, 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 muscles McNeil. Yeah, no, he looked like me. And, and for, for those of you who, who do not know me, I'm about 140 pounds soaking wet. So he, he was not 
a very big man. I remember Tim specifically, Tim Hyman saying when he went in the dugout, he goes, they finally got a guy with my build. So <laughs> again, so yeah, so the, the running joke was, was he was, you know, just a, just a, a slim guy. I remember him, he didn't hit very well either, which is ironic now, but he did not hit very well that year because I said he didn't have the muscle to get it out of the infield. Um, but then he comes back the next season and like just put on so much muscle. Oh and yeah, we like, you were there during that. Yeah. That's and a well-documented like, thing. Yeah, I can't believe this is the same guy. He just showed up with all this muscle. First game back hits, uh, just moonshot into the parking lot and everything else. Like, man, I don't know who this guy is, what he did with Jeff McNeil, but awesome. And then he gets like a double sports hernia because, as I pointed out, guys with our build are not supposed to have that kind of muscle. Yeah, right. so, I know the poor guy was very injury-prone for a while. Yes, exactly. So the he was very injury-prone for a while, but it was it was nice to see him, like, Finally figure it all out, and again, just another crazy hardworking guy with a very good golf game, I will say. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah. Might but, be better at yeah. golf than he is at baseball, and he's absurdly good at baseball. Debatably, yeah, debatably. That's why Binghamton's the spot for me. I don't golf courses out there. Oh, yeah. So, quick, quick aside. Um, speaking of golfing and the Binghamton Mets that they still were at the time. Uh, so it was at the tail end of 2016, I want to say. And we decided, you know, uh, we would have a golf outing. So, like, the whole team and the staff, it was an off day. They were in town. We were all just going to go golfing. And we had a mix of, of you know, that was, that was a strange, that was an interesting team uh, with the ringleader being Dom Smith, who, again, Mets fans are now intimately familiar with Dom's sense of humor and everything else. Dom was not so interested in, in golfing as he was uh, the snack stand <laughs> at, at, at the time. He was betting people hot dogs on like everything, like every shot they took, he would bet them a hot dog and he would usually just be found just sitting in the um, in the golf cart with his feet up, just hammering hot dogs. So yeah, that was, that was, that was back in the Dom is not slim Dom yet. <laughs> another, another good guy who I always like being around with his silly lisp. Yeah, it seems... Just like a, a very nice human being. No, and yeah, very, very nice human being. Again, one of my favorite stories with him yeah. was we were they were doing a CPR demonstration one day, which we were like filming uh, some of our players learning how to do CPR. Dom was not one of those players. He he, he came up to the dugout and he was standing next to me. and He's watching what's going on. He's like, what what are they doing over there? I'm like, uh, they're they're learning how to do CPR. Why you want to join? He goes, I I can't even th- pronounce CPR. And I kind of ta- my, my my tongue is too big. <laughs> they CPR. So it's like, <laughs> whatever works for you, For the record, he did eventually learn how to do CPR, but he just couldn't help himself. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah. I love Dom. Dom. <laughs> um, so I, I guess we'll, um, move into like 2015-ish, mm-hmm. um, since, I don't know, remembering some guys is fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 14 uh, was a blast, and that was a fun team. They won a championship. 15 was the year when I was, like, you know, in charge. I, I got bumped up from intern, so I, I had more of a, like, direct handle with working with, with the guys, which was fun. Um, I, I remember you talking a lot about, like, Michael Fulmer and uh, Brandon Nimmo and Michael yeah. Conforto. All being yeah, there, yeah, that, all yeah, that group was time. there. So, yeah, so Nimmo was with us the whole way, pretty much. Uh, Fulmer was with us most. Most of the way, of course, he yeah. very famously uh, ended up in the Cespedes trade uh, when, when we lost him. And, and it's funny with Conforto because, like, I feel like I have a ton of Conforto stories. He was only with us for, like, a month. Like, yeah, he, really, he, he, was, he was kind of a pit stop. Uh, but, yeah, Nimmo, again, one of the nicest human beings, just a golden retriever of a man who, you know, full full of energy and everything else. 
um, even then was sprinting the first base on walks and things like that. Um, and again, he was a highly rated prospect because I think he was a first round pick if memory serves. Yeah, right? yeah. So like number 10. Yeah. So high, highly rated prospects. So he was, you know, definitely one of the guys we were paying attention to at the time he was doing, he was playing center field. I think they were trying to move him over to left. I want to say or something like that at, at that point, but you know, good hitter. Um, I remember he, 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 he <laughs> so the story I've, I've relayed to you a bunch of times. So again, guy was always positive. He always like spoke in like sound bites though, because he went to like the David Wright school of, uh, public relations. Very, very well put together young man. <laughs> yeah. So usually the first round picks in particular, like go through like intensive like, PR training because they're going to be the ones who are in front of the camera the most often. And Nimmo clearly took notes because even if you were just having a normal conversation with him, he would kind of speak in like sound bites. Like at the time he had a knee injury, which as I told you, spiraled him into a deep depression for a while. Uh, his, his, his roommates were, were, were concerned when he started watching, uh, the labyrinth on, on a loop as opposed to like his Disney movies. Um, but so yes, because the there's two aspects of it that speak to his character. One that he's normally Disney happy. All right, the right, time. right, right, right. And two that when things are dark, <laughs> <laughs> they get kind of dark. <laughs> they get kind of dark. They kind of dark. Yeah. But but so yeah. So he was gone for a little while, and then when he came back, I remember he got like slipping over first base or something like that. It was like a wet bag, and he like slipped over first base. But yeah, so he comes back, and I'm saying, hey Brandon, how you doing? Oh, you know, doing doing pretty good. Feel feeling good. Knee's feeling good. I'm like, yeah. How, how's how's everything with, with the knee? You know, taking it a day at a time. You know, just working on things here and there. I'm like, there's there's no cameras, Brandon. You can just you can just say, I feel okay. I feel fine. Just you don't have to you don't have to give me the whole the whole song and dance. Um, is that just like what life is like in Wyoming? <laughs> I might be. I've never like been say there. hi to somebody and <laughs> yeah, tell you their whole life story. And I like, mean, oh. you may never see them again. Your closest neighbor is like twenty miles away. So I don't know. Interaction, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, so Brandon, Brandon was cool, and then yeah, and then we also had uh, Fulmer and Conforto at the time. Uh, Fulmer was awesome. I really love Fulmer. He was just a super nice guy. I remember, so when we, we would do uh, media day, which would be basically, it would be early in the season, we'd get everybody, you know, in front of the green screens, and we would do all the stuff there, whether it was for, like, your um, your headshots, your, like, uh, all the, like, animation motion stuff we had to do, but particularly yeah, the, the reads. for the year. Right, because we're never going to, it's very rare when you get the time to do it. So, like, it's before the season, we actually have the time, and, and we do all that. And whenever we did the reads, you always had to kind of pick and choose your battles, because you had some guys who just, again, as we said, like, you know, I want to name names with Gavin Cicchini, who like, you know, he <laughs> was not a strong suit, you know, like that, like, like, like that kind of thing. Uh, you had some guys who obviously were not native speakers, but or, or who knew like a little bit of, of English and you give them the shorter ones. But anytime you had someone who just from your conversations or especially like someone like Conforto, who like one was a prospect, but two went to college, like, okay. Right. I hate to, I hate to break it to you. You're reading the long ones. So Fulmer was one of those guys where just from our conversations, I'm like, okay, this guy has a brain in his head. He, he should be okay. So I remember I gave him one of the longer reads to do for like our, our intro. It was like our, the ground rules. I think we called them. And I remember he looks at the page and he goes, oh, man, he's a lot of words here. You know, I didn't go to college, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty confident. You know, so basically this is the equivalent of college. If you can do this like in, in one take, you, you basically went to college. You go, okay, fair enough. So, you know, I hold the paper up and he, he reads through it fine like I thought he would. And then he finishes with, man, college is pretty easy. Why didn't I do that? So, Can confirm. College. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> very simple. Very simple. But, yeah, he's a very nice guy. I remember he shaved his beard and I didn't know who he was for a day. Um, he also was very, very hard on himself because, again, he was, he was an extremely good pitcher for us. And uh, me. Yeah, that was right when he broke out. 
Yeah, that was really when he was going, and that's why the Tigers were so hell bent on getting him in that in that trade because he was he was really good. But I remember it was him, uh, Conforto, uh, myself, and, and one of my friends. We we were all in a car together going up to Ithaca for a uh, for like a little league thing. That was also the day I found out that no one recognizes, especially minor league ball players, when they're out of uniform because they would put on a uniform, they would get swarmed, they would take off the uniform, and we went to Chipotle and nobody knew who they were. So it was like it was like this weird Superman thing going on. But yeah, so so we're we're on the way up, and uh, Conforto is looking through his phone, and he realizes the Mets don't have a first round pick that year, and he starts to lament the fact that he's going to be quote the toy for another year because you know he's he's the most recent first round pick, so all the lights are on him. To which Fulmer, who was a supplemental first round pick the year prior. Then says, uh, ah, don't worry about it. You'll get old and they'll stop caring about you eventually, just like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think he also, the day before, Fulmer had, he had pitched the day before and he had like a good outing, but not like a great outing. Like it was like, you know, like two, two runs over six innings, like one of those deals. And, um, so I had mentioned him. I said, ah, don't say that. My, I said, my brother was at the game. I said, my brother was at the game. He was looking forward to watching you pitch yesterday, to which he said, oh, tell him I apologize because I sucked. So, uh, he was also very happy. He had, he had a base hit in that game, and that was when he went over his theory for pitchers hitting. That was, that was always a pretty good one, which was uh, the first time you come up, don't take the bat off your shoulder. You watch three pitches go right past you, say thank you very much, take a strike, out, sit down. He goes, so then when the next time you come up, they go, oh, this guy sucks. They just <laughs> swing as hard as you can and hope for the best. So that was he, he played the long game, which was good. He also gave uh, Conforto sage advice because uh, Conforto at the time – was raking doubles. The guy, the guy was hitting like a machine, but was not hitting home runs. Um, and he was kind of giving crap about that. To which Conforto said, uh, "I mean, look, man, doubles turn into home runs. You know, you know how it works." To which he then replied, "No, no, no, triples turn into home runs. You're 90 feet closer." So again, Michael Fulmer, very intelligent when it came to math. Understands math, yes. Yes, understands math. And I remember the team was like super pumped when Fulmer uh, did get the trade. They were on the road uh, when he when he found out about. I think they were in Trenton when he found out about that 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 move. Um, they you know, they were excited for him because Fulmer was was looking at that Met staff at the time and kind of not finding a spot, you know, for for him. So it was one of those yeah, it's one of those bittersweet moments, you know, as a Mets fan who works with the minor league team in that like me personally, I like Fulmer. I know Fulmer's good. I would have loved to have seen him with the Mets. But seeing the writing on the wall, I was also happy for him to be getting an opportunity somewhere yeah, and then right. like killing it in Detroit. So it was uh you know it's not it's cool as relevant now with um you know the DH coming to the National right. League. Um but like that's kinda how I felt about Dom Smith for a little while. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly, exactly. You know, I, I I love Dom Smith, I love watching him on a daily basis, but mm-hmm. it would be really nice for him to get like a real opportunity somewhere. Right, right. You know, the, not be jerked around between five different spots. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, and that's the whole thing. It's because, you know, you, you love Dom. So it, it is funny how you just, you kind of just pay attention to guys over the years and, and just sort of, you know, you're happy to see where they land. And then Conforto was one of those guys where I remember his, his first batting practice. I remember because, because, you know, my, my office overlooked the field. I mean, you, you know, you, you've been up there. Yeah, I had yeah, the best. No, that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had the best seat in the house. So I would usually be doing my work before the game. And typically I was behind my big computer. So like I didn't actually see what was going on out there, but I could usually hear it, you know, batting practice, the normal sounds of it. I just remember, man, the ball coming off his bat, like it sounded different to where we all like looked over and you start to realize that everyone's watching the Conforto batting practice because like this guy, you could just tell from his swing, it's from just, that, just he, he, he's, he's, he's going to be professional and he was not going to be there very long and, and, and he wasn't. But, um, yeah, again, 
absurdly nice guy, really understood kind of the, the nature of the beast where he's the, he's the, 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 the toy as he called it. So like he's going to get a call for all the media he's stuff. Gonna he's going to have to, you know, he's going to get all the autographs. Everyone's going to want to talk to the, uh, the territory. But the guy did everything. He was, he was exceedingly nice to myself and my staff and everything else and just, you know, genuinely nice guy. So it's always good when you see guys like that. Now I, I, I'll, I'll say in general, mm-hmm. you hear some horror stories with some like with, with professional athletes. Mm-hmm. The four years I was in Binghamton, we had exceedingly few jerks. We, we did have a very, and I don't know if that's just a sign of like how we draft, how the organization handles guys or whatever. Yeah, but we had exceedingly they, few guys who were like, you know, tough to be around. Yeah, a lot good. of guys I, I think of just like, like Stephen Matz was obviously oh, another, another super nice guy. Yeah, a lot Stephen. of, a lot of like just nice boys. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good Long Island kid, Stephen Matz. Yeah, Stephen Matz, another one, just crazy nice. Even when he left, even when he was no longer in Binghamton. Um, so Stephen Matz, his, his claim to fame in Binghamton was of course going, uh, seven no hit innings in the, Championship game in 2014, which was of which one I of had, most massive. So, so this actually has to do with that bobblehead. So, of course, so you know, a year later, we, we were putting out that bobblehead, and in order to promote it, we wanted Stephen to sign a bunch of them, but also we wanted him to film a commercial for us, like you know, promoting right. the bobblehead. So we had we had reached out to him and asked if he would want to do it. He was, hey, yeah, sure, just come up to New York one day. We we, we can do everything. So it was a game day. We we went up there. We were gonna we brought a bunch of bobbleheads for him for like for him to sign, for him to take home and and to do the commercial with. So we find out you know the week of when we're scheduled to go there, he's he's scheduled to pitch, <laughs> and we're like, oh no, because you know you know for those who don't know, it's typically not you know kosher to mess around with a pitcher on on his day. You know a lot of pitchers are like super superstitious about things like that, but. And so, so we, we, we messaged him we're like, Hey, if you want us to like postpone or change days, we can't, yeah, he goes, I, I really don't care. It's fine. You can just, you know, come up or whatever. So, so we, we go up anyway. He does everything that we wanted to do. You know, again, super nice, handled everything, even on his day to pitch. But I remember being so nervous that game, we say for the game, like, man, if he sucks though, like, like if he has a bad outing, it's, it's going to be our fault. And it turns out it didn't matter because that was the day the Mets scored 10 runs in the second inning. So <laughs> felt way calmer after that. <laughs> Against the Giants or something. Steven Matz is just a machine. He is a machine to the point where when he was doing a rehab start the next season, so he so he uh he, he was with him in 2014. He went up, he got hurt, he came back for a rehab start, and that game lasted an hour 58 because he was just so masterful. He was he was absurd. And then of course he decided to not go on the road with the team um, when they hit the road because he was going to get called up anyway. So uh, his his rehab was going to be up anyway. So he just hung out in Binghamton. But he didn't know what to do with himself when he was in Binghamton while the team was on the road. So you could find him just shirtless, just mowing the lawn, <laughs> mowing the outfield because he just wanted something to do, or just hanging out in the office, which I always thought was funny because people would walk into the office and not realize that it was Stephen Matz just <laughs> hanging out because why would it be? Yeah, just kind of a generic-looking dude. Yeah. Exactly. Tall, but... <laughs> right, right, right. Just, just a tall guy just hanging out. But yeah. Again, more proof that... When baseball players are not in uniform, they are incognito. They're completely anonymous. It's incredible. Uh, so there's two more guys I want to remember and yes. kind of use that to transition into more talking about what Binghamton means to yeah, the area sure. and stuff. But um, uh, I'd like you to tell me about Wilfredo Tovar. Ah, uh, uh, Willie. We have called him the mayor of Binghamton on this podcast. He, he, he is the mayor of Binghamton. So Willie, 
So Wilfredo or Willie, as he was affectionately known in the town of Binghamton, um, he was he was in Binghamton for like a number of years. Now, I didn't get to experience the the bulk of the Tovar era. I got I got the tail end of it in, in, in 2014. Yeah, because I believe um, we were at a, a Mets game late in the season together. In which, I think uh, you're right. Well, Fredo Tovar played shortstop for the big league. Yeah, I think you're right. Cause that, that might have been the year where like, I didn't look like half the Mets that, or half the guys playing in that game were like rookies or nobody. So it was like yeah. one of those like, weird, it was like weird. The last games of the season. Right. One of those weird September played. games. The Mets are 32 games out of the playoffs. So here we go. You know, the Daniel Murphy's leading team in home runs kind of seasons. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, but, but he was a guy who, like we were talking about before, not a ton of English on, on, on Wilfredo. Like, like enough to kind of get by, but not a lot. You know, Famously in, rushed to the, uh, rushed to stateside, you know, yes, very yeah, early. Yeah, yeah, a young Venezuelan kid who like, yeah, just, Didn't you know, time. no time right. to learn English. Enough to get by. But that being said, he was very outgoing for a man who did not speak the language very much and had this very like, very big smile and just like hag personality. He also was like my height. Like he was not a very tall guy. So I think he was just very disarming just as a person. And I remember going, I would always go to the deli across the street for like lunch most days, Dorenzo's. And I remember going there one day and I'm getting my thing or whatever. And Tovar comes in and everyone just starts yelling, Willie, Willie. And he has a big smile on his face. He's waving at people and they're shooting around, not saying a word, just smiling and waving. They're, they're, they're talking to him, asking how things are to get him sandwiches and things. And, yeah, and I remember uh when we were I was again we we would do a pregame, we'd shoot a bunch of stuff for like either that day or for the week or something like that, and then Mother's Day was coming up. And so I went down, I wanted a bunch of players to do shout outs for, for their mothers. Okay, so I'm going down, I'm filming a bunch of guys, you know, generic stuff, and, and Willie's just watching the whole time. Not saying anything, he's just watching me the whole time. So then when I finish, he he signals over to me. I'm like, Oh, you wanna do one? And he, he just nods his head. All right, cool. We'll do what I'm thinking. Okay, whatever. He does one in Spanish. Like, that's fine. Diversity. You know, we'll, we'll do whatever. No, no, no. He wanted to do it, to do it in English. He takes the microphone. He whispers to, it must, it must have been Jorge Correa, who was like our translator, like, like how to say some stuff. And then takes the mic, puts a smile on. And he goes, happy Mother's Day. And then he starts to nod. And he's, because he's happy with himself that he got that far. <laughs> to all the mothers. Then he smiles again. He nods. And then he just gives a big thumbs up. Be happy. <laughs> and that was that, that was that was my favorite that was my favorite one. He also disappeared that year for a while. Was that? <laughs> I would love to see the video from that. Time. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I I wish I still had that. But yeah, he was he was always very very happy with himself uh, whenever he was talking. He disappeared for a little bit that year because I think he got injured and he went to Venezuela, but he didn't tell anybody. So he just he was just gone for a little while. But yeah, the the old mayor of Binghamton who everybody loved, even though no one could understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so um, let's let's talk a little bit about since we're about thirty minutes into this. You knew this was going to happen. Yeah, conversations go. Yes. Yeah, you knew this was going to happen. But uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about um, Binghamton as a place yeah. and sort mm-hmm. of what the the place will be missing now that the team is no longer. Yeah. There. So I was telling you a little bit about this kind of off camera, but you know, Binghamton it's it's a it's a, it's a blue collar town that is like. They, they, they love what is theirs. You know, like, 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 you know, they, they love John Jones because John Jones is, is a Binghamton guy. They, they loved, um, uh, uh, Union and well, and the guy who, whoever, the, the team who won the Little League World Series back in 2016 or whatever, they loved them yeah, they because they were. Day at the yeah. Teams, to think to see, uh, that might have been to see Rosario. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was a big deal. 
<laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, there's still there's road signs because I was I was there relatively recently, and there, there's signs still like 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 dedicated to that to that team winning. But yeah, so they they love what is what is theirs, and there are some very passionate baseball fans in Binghamton who will certainly you know be missing out on affiliated ball. I I can't sit here and tell you that there's not going to be baseball in Binghamton anymore because I yeah, don't right. know if that's if that's the case. But you know, losing the affiliation most likely. You know, there's an aspect of it where you're watching the future happen, you know? Yeah, and that was always what we I've said a lot, a lot over the years that, like, um, part of why I like following the minors is you, it's like you watch these guys grow up. Oh, yeah, and, 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 and the day he was people. drafted, sending you a text being like, no, mm-hmm. this kid's, this kid's gonna be good. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Then he gets to the big leagues yeah. and he's good and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> And again, and, and it's also this, and it's, it's this other thing too, where it's just like I was saying before, like they become your guys, you know, when, when you get a guy like Tyler Pill, who was in Binghamton for like three years, like has like every pitching record known to humankind, uh, with Binghamton just out of just longevity, if nothing else, you know, when he finally gets up to the bigs, it's, you know, the whole town of Binghamton is excited for it because he's, he feels like our he guy. Literally so, a resident. Definitely. You know? Yes, right, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's legitimately a resident. Yeah, so um, yeah, so like, there's going to be a lot of baseball fans who are who are going to miss that aspect of it. A lot of Mets fans in the area who are going to miss that aspect of it. Um, you know, obviously the attendance in Binghamton was never ideal, and and we knew that. You know, it, it was it was never a secret. You know, it was always sometimes uh, I said, you know, I think people sometimes take for granted what's there until it's gone. But every time that this this possibility has come up. It's caused outroar. Like before I got there, there was a rumor the team was going to move to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And like that was, that was a whole stir. Um, you know, so, and, and when we changed the team name, you saw there was a lot of out, outreach and things like that. So like the, the town did care. They didn't always go to the games, but they did care. Yeah, it, 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 it would be a noticeable kind of piece missing when, when, when right. it's not there. Um, we we had a uh, one of our, our writers on staff, John Troopin, lives in Binghamton now, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, my colleague Steve and him had a conversation about it. It's a very complex, like socioeconomic question about why it is. It is. No, it, it is. It is. It's not that they don't yeah. care. It's there's just it's just no, complicated given they're, where they're they are. right. They're they're. Binghamton's a weird area like that where yeah you, you kind of have a little bit of everything. I mean you 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 stayed in my apartment. I didn't exactly stay you know and <laughs> at the Ritz or anything like that. So it's like yeah well, it's you know obviously. <laughs> it was. It was. It was exceedingly close it's to the ballpark, which is why I got it. Exactly, which is why I had it. But yeah, you know, it's um, yeah, exactly. There, there, there's a lot that goes into it. And again, just when you're talking about like population, you know, like yeah, there's people in Binghamton, but it's not like, you know, not like Richmond. You know, so, 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 so it's yeah, hard right. to compete with some of these other and places. You know, Portland's a little university town. You know, it's a university town and and, and college kids who don't are, have transportation. When, yeah, and like when are people? In a university town, typically not the summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Are happening. <laughs> right in the summer, they're not there a lot. And then the pro- the problem, and this is a problem that minor league baseball has in general. It wasn't just us. I say minor league baseball everywhere has this problem in general. <laughs> is that they, we always wanted the kids of the college kids with drink specials, to which I always had to point out to them that there is like a quarter of the population at college that can legally drink. So like yes. drink <laughs> weren't helping us. So just a PSA to everybody out there. Just remember when you're doing that that yes, college kids drink, but to get a drink at your place they have to be twenty one and that's very limited scope of college kids. Yeah, but sure. so like that was all that was always an issue we ran into was like, how do you get them? I know the shuttle like didn't run to the ballpark from the university, so like 
yes, that's just trying to get them from point A to point B was tough. So yeah, there was there was a lot of hurdles that we dealt with, you know, o- over the years. But then Fourth of July would happen, and it would be awesome. And then and then the championship game would happen, and that place was packed. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the most fun I've ever had in, in a ballpark because it what's, was. What's really ironic about that is I went to. Uh, two of the playoff games when the Cyclones yes. were in town. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just the nature of like being on Coney Island in mm-hmm. the winter, or mm-hmm. not the winter, the, the like yeah, yeah, it was fall. quickly approaching fall. <laughs> but those games were empty. Oh yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Absolutely like, empty. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. When we played uh, uh, Portland in the, uh, in, in the semifinal round in 2014, we didn't have a huge crowd either. And part of that's because it was like midweeks and things like that. So like, yeah. and, and, and there are games that weren't on the schedule until like very recently. So you don't yeah, really have to promote them and, and things like that. So the playoffs and, are be scheduled as they're happening. And again, in minor league baseball is weird because it's not like the majors and the majors, their attendance really kind of matters with how good the team is. You know, when, when Mets are good, the place is packed. When the Mets suck, nobody's there with the minors. Good or bad, sure, when the team is good, you're going to get some more people just because they want to, like, see it. And when you have the big prospects, people are going to want to go see the big prospects. But for the most part, like, you know, it's a traveling circus. Like, like people are coming to for, like, just be entertained. So it's, sometimes it's tough when you do have a good team to, like, express to people, like, hey, this team is really good. Like, you should Yeah, no, like, stop watching the inflatable, you know, dinosaur in the corner. Right, right. Watch Steven Matz spin a beautiful curve. Yeah, ball. right. But but it was it, but it was cool to see that championship game because because – and again, that was kind of, you know, a freak thing because it was, it was a best of five series. We started in Richmond. We won the, both games out there. So we were coming home needing one game of the next three to win the championship. And I remember just throwing everything into that first game. Like, you know, the, all the TV commercials, everything. We had fireworks on standby. We had our, our championship audio ready to go. I had all the graphics. And I remember thinking like midway through that game because it was like one nothing or something like that. Like, what if we like then we have nothing we have nothing for tomorrow like we have no plan past past this so luckily that did not happen but it was it was cool to see the town really come out and really support and embrace uh uh the team and it made for a lot of fun footage when i made like the, the championship dvd and things like that because it was fun to see that place really rocking really into the game it wasn't a normal minor league crowd where they're like even a big crowd is there but again you're walking around, you're watching the inflatable dinosaurs and the right. pogo stick guys and the human it's cannibal and all that stuff. Yeah. This was, they were there for the game. They were cheering for the game. We were throwing a no-no at the time. So like everybody was into that. Like it was, it was really, it was, it was a fun atmosphere and definitely a, definitely one of my top memories at Binghamton was that night. Um, so one thing I want to hit before we, we end is, um, a character that I don't know how to describe. Yes. Uh, I've met him a few times to the point where I think he recognized me towards the probably, end. Probably, probably. Um, so, hey, that's, that's Joe's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, how do you, how would you describe Bob? The man, the myth, the legend, Robert Krauss, affectionately known as Bob. So Bob was, I don't want to say he's a vagrant because he's not. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's he a wonderful a human being. Yes, he does have a home and he's, and he's a lovely human being. Bob is like, I, again, he, he's, he's a super fan, but like, he's also so, sort of lives at the ballpark. <laughs> I have a theory that every minor league baseball, um, Probably. not that Binghamton's in the middle of nowhere, but like every baseball, no, every, there, there's that and it's, you know, kind of like a draw in and of itself, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I would think that there's oh, one, yeah. one or two people like, like, I, mean, I, I know so. for a fact Brooklyn has like a, like a, yeah, a I hope so. If they, don't, if they don't, they're missing out because I love Bob. So Bob, to, to basically, to try to paint the picture, Bob was a, was this frail old man. He was like in his eighties, we think. I'll, I'll explain why it was hard to get any, like any information out of him. But, and, and he was at the ballpark. He was at, he was a season ticket holder. He was at every game, but that's not what, there are a lot that of people. <laughs> what made Bob, Bob different is he would arrive at the ballpark at like 10 in the morning. He would walk to the ballpark from wherever he lived. He would walk and he would arrive at around 9 or 10 in the morning every day. And it didn't matter if he had a game or not. He was he was just there. And typically what Bob would do was he would usually just kind of sit. Just He would, he, he, he would walk around. He would sit in, in, in his seats, you know, and just watch practice, watch batting practice, hang out in the sun, sometimes without a shirt. You know, just kind of do. Sometimes you just come into our meetings and just kind of barge in. Um, and the thing with Bob was, um, again, we don't really know the full story with Bob. Um, Which makes it better. In my opinion. Yeah, our understanding with Bob is that he was with the military to some extent. Now, I don't know if Bob was like and, – and, and he seemed to cook at some point. Now, I don't know if that means that he was like a chef and then something happened because Bob was not all there. And and he was he, he he couldn't talk very well. He spoke what I called Bobanese, where like he would he would just kind of like re- repeat things and mutter things and things like that. But I was very fluent in it, so I could usually kind of <laughs> communicate with Bob and, and get through with him. But yeah, so you would sit there with him because because I took a fascination with Bob, and I would always hang out with him. Especially if I had nothing to do, I would just kind of like sit next to him and, and and try to you know make contact. And um, so I would try to get information out of him. Like he had a, he had a tattoo on his arm, but he, he was so old and he was so shriveled up, you couldn't see what it was. So I would ask him, like, Bob, what's that tattoo? And he would just shrug. <laughs> cool. Uh, we found out, uh, his birthday. I think, I think Tim, uh, one day at the end of the season snuck him on the roster just for fun. Um, he would walk around, uh, he, he would, he would always walk around with like the game notes and he would, he, he never knew the players by name. He would know them by number. So like Jorge Carrillo was number 44, and that's how he talked. No, number 44, so starting today. And he would always write off the stats to the point where when I was doing the pregame show and I was setting the pitching matchup, if I didn't know who was like going that day, I'd yell over, Bob, who's pitching today? Go, number 10. All right, what's his record? Five win, three losses. I wouldn't even check it. I just knew he was right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool, sounds good to me. Um, he would use, he, he would make sure he let the players know if they were doing good or bad. Um, usually he would say, uh, Jorge Carrillo, poor Jorge was always like, the direction of his ire and you do be a Fofo, you suck. Don't get hits. You suck. <laughs> and things like that. So what you would come and be like, man, Bob's being mean to me lately. I don't know what's, what's going on. Bob's being mean. Uh, he once, he once got in a fight with a Trenton Thunder fan and he, and he punched said Trenton Thunder fan. Uh, I would argue that was the fan's fault more than Bob's because if you knew Bob the way that we knew him, he shook every moment of the day. He couldn't have been throwing the punch at more than like a, <laughs> like, you know, a foot per minute velocity. So like small to, man. Get, to get hit by him, you had to have been like, you had to have seen it coming for a solid 40 seconds. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember, uh, and, and again, so he, he was always around. He would come barging into our meetings and ask to use the toaster. I, I had a thing of dum-dums in my office for him. That way he'd like, give him a lollipop because he liked them. Um, you know, he, he, he always wanted to know who's pitching today. Um, you know, there was the one time uh, when we went over the – we had the Hartford Yard Goat situation where Hartford was the new team and their stadium wasn't ready yet. So they were playing all of their home games at various ballparks, and including playing uh, at Nysac Stadium where we were. So we were supposed to be playing in Hartford. Hartford didn't exist. We were going to play the whole series in 
uh, at NYSEC. And it was going to be an empty arena game, very similar to what we're doing now. Um, but I had said, I'm like, we have to let Bob in though, because look, he's Bob. Like, he's, you know, so yeah. I, so I, so I, so I, so I, so I told, exactly. Yeah, he's family. So I, so I told Bob, um, that, that I'm like, hey, I got some news and I was pointing to the counter, to the counter for him that these games are going to be here. They're not going to be there. And he's shaking his head at me and he keeps pointing to the counter. But I know what the calendar says, Bob. And I'm telling you, they're going to be here. He's shaking his head. He's arguing with me. I'm like, well, okay, whatever. Fine. The next day then he comes and goes, I have to tell you something. Like, yeah, 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 tell me something. You got to tell me. I see him slowly start to go to his pocket, and I realize that's where his pocket schedule is. Like, no, no, Bob, Bob, because I already know what he's going to tell me. I told him yesterday. For the next minute and a half, he slowly is unfolding his thing. I'm trying to, I know, I know, I know. And he points to the games. He goes, they're playing here. I'm like, yeah, Bob, I told you that. You can't, you can't tell me information that I told you and make it seem like it's new stuff. Like, that's not how it works. He would hang out outside the clubhouse and, like, wait for food. The club would usually feed him. He was in the paper one day, and he was so proud of it. They brought the newspaper clipping for us, and we put it in the clubhouse. Was, uh, he was always excited about that. All the players knew him and loved him. So, like, he was just a harmless, harmless old man who just loved baseball and loved hanging out. He would always make sure he, that we knew the score. His seat was right outside my office. And if someone scored, so like, let's say, like, we scored make a 3-2, he would walk He would walk slowly up to the glass. He would go to Lynn Worthy, who was our, who was our beat writer, and he would slowly show him the score three to two, which we were, and then he would try to talk through the soundproof glass. We were always, we can't hear you. We know, we know the score, Bob. So he is a character. I remember him hanging out one day to watch pitch. There was that, that, that show on Fox. Yeah, yeah. We had the, we had, we had the, I think uh, I was there for that. I think you were too. We had the debut of that. We, we showed it in the stadium after a game and he hung out afterwards. We got him some popcorn and everything else and he hung out. And then the next day when I saw Bob, I said, how are you doing today, Bob? And he just watched a weird movie last night. <laughs> Yeah, you were here, Bob. I watched you. I, it, was, it, was, it was a show. I know. I, he came to a concert one time, the country concert, and in his jeans and everything else. I had to go get him a soda with a straw. So, like, you know, he was just—he was the man. I, I love Bob. Yeah, one of the things that um, you know, I have no particular affinity for Binghamton as a place, or right. um, <laughs> just a place I occasionally visited to watch yeah. baseball and, and catch up with with my buddy. Um, and but I, I do think that was awesome. the perfect. I, I do think pretty often about um, what's Bob up to these days. Oh, that, absolutely, absolutely. That makes I remember fairly regular. I was I was so bummed that I ended up leaving Binghamton when I did because Bob was supposed to have like knee surgery and I was going to start like a YouTube series of because <laughs> because my thing was like oh Bob walks to the ballpark every day and he would see him just walking around town and I'm like how the hell is he going to get to the ballpark if he has a bum knee so I was going to make it my mission to pick him up every day and just record conversations with Bob. I figured it'd be like the next like Tuesdays with Maury. And just just every day, just film my conversation with Bob, and we were we were, we were gonna have a ball. But uh, I, it didn't come to be that that doesn't exist. I know, I know, but that, that was gonna be our thing. But uh, uh, yeah, everyone, everyone, everyone loved Bob. He was he was. I love Bob. I only met him a few times, but no, I, it's a, look, he left the very lasting mark on, on me. He, as a he 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 was very lovable. He would always put up his his, his fist to like pretend to fight you. <laughs> he knew me as the guy with the beard. I found out in subsequent years. Uh, which is better than some other nicknames for like five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he knew me as the guy with the beard. Uh, it was better than some other nicknames he gave, such as to my friend Jesse, who he called the fat guy. So I mean, I, I think I lucked out with the beard with the beard comment. Yeah, so. Pretty harmless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that was my guy, though, Bob. And again, he was there every year. I suppose our players were kind of cycling in and out. So you know, yeah, he's the one constant. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember him trying to fight um, Gabriel Enoa's drone one day. <laughs> Gary Noah had that 40 man money, so he showed up with it was his new drone, which he was flying around, and then Bob kept trying to fight it. So he kept like flying it by Bob, and Bob kept throwing punches. And I remember Tim laughing, going like, I feel like we shouldn't be laughing at this, but it is funny. 
<laughs> Objectively. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he gave her a no. Another one who spoke about five lines of English, but knew enough how to pester Bob with the Turns drum. out he didn't really need it all that long now that he No, did. didn't. He really didn't, no. Did have one of my favorite lines, though. He understood English way better than he let on because they would do uh, English classes. Um, the, the, the Spanish speakers, the Mets would provide them with English classes, usually with someone from like the high school, like a Spanish teacher who these poor souls would have to try to get these baseball players to try to teach them English. And they were going over uh, the verb have. So I remember I was walking by and the guy is like, have, like I have a pen. You have a paper to which Igor Noah without missing a beat goes, I have to get out of here. So it's like, oh, he, <laughs> he figured it out. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> All right. So, um, I guess what, what are you doing now? And let's, um, we're, we're about an hour into this. So here we go. Yeah. The good times. Uh, yeah. So now I'm in, I'm in, uh, Moorhead, Kentucky, a little town in Nietzsche, Kentucky. I work for uh, Moorhead State University and I'm pretty much doing here what I did back there. Um, you know, in, in, in Binghamton, I was in charge of, you know, the boards and doing the MLB TV streaming and, and, and all the video related stuff. That's kind of what I do here. Only instead of MLB TV, it's ESPN plus. So I take care of uh, Moorhead State Athletics. We do, we are, you know, um, seven sports and, and kind of do all the various video related shenanigans, uh, here. So, you know, it's working for college, which is a little bit different than the minors, but, you know, still fun. You get more, you get different sports. It is always fun though, going back to baseball and kind of yeah, going back to use, using my, my, my minor league skills on, uh, on, on old Eastern Kentucky here. All right. Well, um, Joe, it's, it was a pleasure, um, as Absolutely. always to talk to you. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you, know, if you have any more stories or more reminiscence about random Binghamton players, do let me know. Oh, yeah, that's like, we do that probably like once a month. Tackle what we do, yes. <laughs> Alright, so where, where can people find you on, uh... uh, they can find me pretty much on Twitter, uh, jcamp, jcamp459. Uh, I don't tweet there often, but when I do, it's I, I do want to say you are like the, the foremost expert on George Mason basketball. Yes, I am the foremost expert on George Mason basketball, that's true. That's pretty much how I watch games these days because we are a, Little mid-major basketball program with about 15 fans, so we all have to, you know, unite on Twitter. So that's you'll see a lot of that from me most days. But don't worry when when the Mets annoy me and or when the Mets do well, I usually tweet about them and the Giants. Same thing. They usually annoy. Oh, and the Islanders. Can't forget about them. I suffer a lot, as you know, with my team. The Giants <laughs> at least have given me championships in the past, and I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, uh, you could be like your dad in a. Uh, oh man, it could be Jeff, worse. Right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that guy. He, as he always it said, got you real know, root for a while. <laughs> it did, you know, you know, rooting for bad teams builds character, according to him. So we have a lot of character in our family. He was my fourth grade teacher for a bit, um, <laughs> and I do remember him telling me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, that's, like you're that's, a bad thing. <laughs> he also, I'm pretty sure you were there that day too, when when uh, a a uh, less than sober man on the train was convinced that he was Ron Darling. That was a fun day. <laughs> so. My dad didn't that correct him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> good times. Right, well, good times. Joe, it was a pleasure. And, uh, oh, it was good talk to you, man. See you soon. All yeah. right. See you later, man. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> All right. Any last words for the week? <laughs> I can't uh, believe there's baseball in like six days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Weird. Do you guys want to talk about the game a little bit? Did you guys watch? I did. Uh, I watched parts. I, I watched most yeah, and, of it, and then and Daniel the Zamora parts, made apparently. me shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it until the end of the game where Zamora, like, just got lit up. What he's, a messy, messy game. He's going to struggle with the three batter minimum stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't get why they don't just, um, like, walk 
one of the dudes if you have a base. Oh, that's what I would do. Just that's, like, I would do that every time. Intentionally like, walk the last guy and be like, all right. The intentionally walk the, the middle batter, if mm-hmm. you have an open base, the righty, so that he could just face the lefty and then you burn the rule, you know? That's exactly what I would do as well. I'm sure some enterprising manager will realize that it's that it's that easy <laughs> and start doing so. That's some raise stuff where, like, they lead the league in intentional walks and go 40 and 20. <laughs> and everyone's like, how did it happen? And it's like, well... <laughs> Only don't let the guys who shouldn't be facing other guys. (laughs) Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Ken is at Ken Levin 91. And Thomas is at said Metsies and SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And then, of course, please rate and review it positively. And thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs>